don't celebrate their death, you celebrate their life. If you've ever been to a funeral, we don't sit there for an hour or two and talk about how they died and what went wrong. We talk about their life and the meaning of their life. And we get to celebrate the life of Jesus, not just because of what he did the three years prior to that, but because what he's doing today. What Jesus started, what Jesus began in the beginning, he is still doing today because he's alive. He's reigning. He's with his father in heaven, seated at the right hand of the father with all authority, with all power, with all might, all dominion, everything that is named is under his feet. So father, we thank you this morning that we have this great opportunity and we do not take it for granted. Father, we take this day, but this is something that we ought to celebrate and keep in remembrance every day of our lives. And Father, we worship you. We magnify you. You are worthy to be praised. The price that you paid by sending your only son, that you loved the world so much that you gave him to us, that the price we could not pay, the price we could not repay, the sin that we could not take care of on our own, you made a way that we could live with you forever. So, Father, this morning as we hear your word, I thank you that we'll keep in remembrance what this day is really about, what we are celebrating in this day, that our Lord Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, he is alive and reigning today. We thank you and we give you all the glory and all the praise in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Our children may be dismissed. You may be seated. Hallelujah. It's an honor to be with you today. On this day where we celebrate the greatness of the church. Hallelujah. You know, we talk a lot about Easter and and the church is taking a real focal point on Jesus' death and the cross and what it means for us. And today I want to talk to you about the greatest expression of love. The greatest expression of love. John chapter 3, verse 16, we all know this. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The promise that he gives is everlasting life. And I'm afraid that we as a church have maybe confused what this everlasting life is all about, this eternal life, what it's all about. And I want to bring into perspective the greatest expression of love that's ever been made on this planet. Obviously, you can see here that it began by someone giving something. So many times we express love by what we receive and what we get. But God expressed love not in what he got in return, but he actually gave something with no promise of getting anything in return. But today we get to honor this word. We get to honor what he gave to us and give something back. Father, I thank you that my words are spoken with boldness and clarity. They're spoken in the words of God, not the words of men. We'll receive it and apply it in Jesus' name. Amen. What does the cross and resurrection mean? It's what Easter's all about. This is what we're celebrating. We know uh, that this last week is what they call Passover week or Holy Week. This was the, a week ago today. Jesus would have entered Jerusalem. 
and he came in as a king with the same people that were waving him with palm branches and saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. Those same men and women, one week later, less than one week later, were saying, crucify him, crucify him. And so we need to understand what this week is about, what this cross and resurrection on Friday was the day that we call Good Friday, is the day that he hung on the cross in between heaven and hell. And I want to let you know that it wasn't the nails that held him to that cross. It wasn't the, the wood. It wasn't the Romans. It wasn't the centurions. It wasn't the temple guards and the Sanhedrin, the ones that ultimately put him there, but they're not the ones that kept him there. He said multiple times, I could call at any time, I could call my angels down, and they could deliver me from this. But it was his love, and it was his obedience. Paul said that Jesus had obedience even to the death of the cross. It's amazing to think that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, had to operate in the same obedience that you and I have to operate in on a daily basis. But really, to be honest with you, we're no different than Jesus in the sense that he took up his cross, and his cross wasn't a wooden beam that he carried on his back. His cross was being obedient to the king, being obedient to his father. You and I carry the same cross every day. You and I carry the same cross Jesus carried to obey what the father says to do. Very simple. But today I want to highlight... I mean, if we really want to talk about what the cross and resurrection really means, we could be here till this time tomorrow morning. But I'm not going to keep you that long. I know we've got plans. I know we've got things going on today. But I want to look at three main points, three main works of what Jesus accomplished through his cross, through his burial, through his death, and through his resurrection. Uh, first thing I want to point out is that by nature, we are one-dimensional people. We see things either one way or another. We either see a loving God uh, that gives us leeway and gives us, uh, you, know, uh, you know, doesn't really hold to his standards that tight, or we see a God that's so hard and so brash that if you just make one slip, you're done. We have got to be able to see God in both dimensions at the same time. He is a loving God. He is a God that cares for you. He is a God that treasures you. He is a God that loves you so much that he paid the ultimate price for your life. But he is a God that demands holiness. He is a God that has a very high standard of living. He is a God that, I mean, if you don't understand his standard of living, just look at the torment that Jesus went through. Because Jesus carried the sins of the world. The torment that Jesus went through wasn't a picture of how horrible God is. It was a picture of how much he hates sin. He hated it so much that he was willing to give up his son to pay that price so that you and I would never have to be bound to it again. That you and I would never have to be in control by it again. The first work that Jesus made through his cross was redemption. And this word redemption, this is 
a word that maybe we don't fully understand biblically, but it simply means to buy back. That's simply what redemption means, to be redeemed. You know, the only way we can really think of it is if you redeem a coupon and you use that to get something in return. We have been redeemed by what Jesus did. That redemption means to buy back. It means to pay a price for in exchange for something. And you have to understand that the price that was paid was a price that you and I could not pay, was a price that nobody could pay except God himself by sending his son Jesus to take care of that. So it's a price that was paid to purchase. Galatians chapter 3, and I want to let you know I've got quite a few scriptures here. I hope to hit them all. I'm going to be moving pretty quick. If you have uh, the version app on your phone uh, or, or whatever you're using, and obviously the, the verses up here on the screen, they will be there for you to follow along. Uh, we're going to be moving pretty rapidly, but I want to cover as much as we can today. I almost feel like I'm preaching three different messages in one day, so I want to get through it. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. This redemption took place, to buy us back. That means that we must have been in control of something else. If we needed to be redeemed, that must mean that somebody else owned us at one time. If you have to be bought, that means that you're under the control of someone else. See, for so long we picture our lives before Christ, before we came to know Jesus, we, we picture our lives as we were doing whatever we wanted to do. We were living however we wanted to do. We were we, uh, living however we wanted to live, talking however we wanted to, saying whatever we wanted to. But that's just not the case. Colossians chapter 1 proves this out. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13 says, He has delivered us from what? The power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Delivered us from the power of of darkness. That word conveyed means to be transferred or it, it, it gives the picture of being moved from one location to another. Go to verse 14. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. I like how the Amplified reads it. The Amplified uh, says it this way. The Father has delivered and drawn us to himself out of the control and the dominion of darkness, and has transferred us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. We were once under someone else's control and dominion. That means someone else was calling the shots in your life. When you thought you were doing what you wanted to do, when you thought you were living how you wanted to live, when you thought you were talking how you wanted to talk, you weren't. Somebody else was dictating your life. Somebody else was calling the shots. You had a different ruler. Verse 14 says, in whom we have our redemption through his blood, which means the forgiveness of sins. We have been redeemed, bought back. The price has been prayed for your life, so you don't have to live under his control any longer. Now, this freedom in Christ is not freedom to do whatever we want to do. Actually, in life, you never get to do what you want to do. 
regardless of who you think you're under, you're serving one God or the other. You're either serving Satan, the devil, or you're serving God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So we have to identify the two places. Many times we think of, uh, there's a picture of Christianity as being tied down, as being, uh, you know, rules and restrictions. I had it easier in that life. No, you didn't have it easier. You were just obeying a God who was letting you think you were in control when you really weren't. The Bible says even sin seems fun for a while. But in the end, it always pays out in death. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, For we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We've all sinned, and we were all at one time under the control of the enemy. Jesus went to the cross so that you didn't have to be under the control of Satan any longer, but you could live under his control, his reign, in what we call the kingdom of God. But you're always in a kingdom. So we've identified that we were all sinners. We all lived under the control of the enemy, Satan. But verse 24 says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 6, verse 16. He puts it this way. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? He says, no matter what you do, you're obeying somebody. No matter what you do, you're giving yourself to someone's control. If you are living a life of sin, you are in obedience to the devil. If you're living a life of righteousness, you're living in obedience to Christ, to God, to the king. You're obeying one or the other. The freedom that Jesus gave us in his redemption was the freedom to make the choice to obey God. See, people in the world, before you come to know Jesus, you don't have a choice. You don't have a say-so. You don't have a right to say, you know what, devil, I don't want to do what, you, what you're telling me to do anymore. On their own, they have no way to make that decision. On your own, no matter how hard you tried, no matter how good you tried to act and how good you tried to be, you didn't have that choice in your life. doesn't matter how good on the outside someone looks. If they don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they're in obedience to the devil. The obedience to the devil is sin, but righteousness is obedience to God. The freedom that we have now, the redemption that we have now is to make that choice. I want to live for God. Righteousness is obedience to God. Romans chapter 10, verse 9, we know this. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. What does that mean, confess the Lord Jesus? That word confess didn't mean just say something with your mouth and actions don't line up. Back then, words meant a lot more than they do today. And when you confessed 
something, you are making a binding pact. You are signing a contract saying, this is how I'm going to live now. Confess the Lord Jesus. We don't know what Lord means. In our day and age, we don't know what that word means, but here's what it means. To confess someone as your Lord means they now have full control in your life. They call the shots. The only picture that we have today in our day and age is a landlord, which means the, the property belongs to them. Now, you have control, and you can do with it as you please, but they're the final say. They're the final authority. That's the only real picture of Lord that we have today. When someone is Lord, that doesn't just mean, yeah, I confess you as Lord, thank you for giving me access to heaven. No, that means I am making a binding contract agreement with you today that you will control my life. And let me tell you, you want him in control. You want him in control of your life. No, I want control. No, you don't have control. That control was handed over years ago and forfeited to the devil. And he's the one that has control if Jesus doesn't have control. Jesus must be the Lord of your life. Do not just accept Jesus as your Savior. He is your Lord. He's in control. He calls the shots. But you want him in control because he wants the best for you. He has your best interest at heart. He wants the best for your life. He wants the best for your home. He wants the best for your marriage. He wants the best for your children. He wants the best for your family. He wants the best for everything you put your hand to. And if you give him control, he knows how to make that happen. Trying to do it on your own will not solve anything. It will not solve a problem. So look at this. In Romans chapter 6, in verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What's he saying here? Here's what we think of when we think of the cross. We think of forgiveness of our past sins. Everything that we did wrong up until the point we make Jesus the Lord of our lives. And we Picture Jesus paying the price for the penalty of sin. What's the penalty for sin? You die and you go to hell and you burn for the rest of your life. That's the penalty of sin. That was the price that we were all supposed to pay. That was the penalty that we were all supposed to pay. It, it wasn't a, a matter of what kind of sin you committed. The first time you told your mom no as a child, that was enough to send you to hell. The first time you went and you took the remote and banged it on the TV screen when your dad has told you multiple times, do not touch the TV screen. That was enough 
to send you to hell for the rest of your life. That's all it took. Because of what Adam did, we were born into that. You didn't have to be taught how to sin. You didn't have to be taught how to do wrong. You didn't have to be taught the word no. You didn't have to be taught the word I won't. You didn't have to be taught the words it's mine. We didn't have to be taught that. That was by nature because of what Adam did. And we were born into that. But I want to tell you something. Jesus paid way more of a price than just to take care of the penalty of sin. He did way more than just save you from a life in hell. An eternal life burning for the rest of your life. He did way more than that. The price he paid was way greater than that. Not only did he pay the price to free you from the penalty of sin, but he paid the price to free you from the power of sin. This verse tells us that sin should no longer rule in our lives. What did we just see in Colossians chapter 1? That before we came to know Christ, we were living in the kingdom of of darkness. We were living under the rule and the control of Satan and his authority. We were living under the control of sin. But now Jesus went to the cross, shed his blood, took the penalty for our sin, but also gave us power over sin. How? By rising again. See, when you only focus on the cross, then you miss the power that's available to you through his resurrection. This is why we have to understand what took place in all three days. Jesus rose from the dead in power. Romans chapter 8 says that the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. Why do you need power? So you don't have to be dominated by sin any longer. Back before you knew Jesus, when Satan said, hey, do this, hey, say this, hey, go here, hey, look at this, you had no choice. You had to do it. But now, Jesus paid a price, so now you can stand up and say, no, I won't talk that way anymore. No, I won't look at that anymore. No, I won't treat people that way anymore. No, I won't act like that anymore. No, I won't go to this place anymore. Now you have the opportunity before you to stand up in power, the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Don't tell me you don't have power. Don't tell me you don't have control. Don't tell me you don't have authority. The same power that raised the man from the dead after being dead for three days lives inside of you. So every time Satan comes up and says, hey, why don't you do this? Hey, remember we used to act like that? Hey, remember we used to say this? You can say, no, I have the power. The New Living Translation puts it this way says, do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. It's not saying you won't still have the desires. It's saying don't give in to them. Don't let them control you. Don't let them dictate your life. Don't let them call the shots. 
You've been freed not just from the penalty and paying the price for sin. Because this is what we do. Oh, I sinned, but wait, Jesus uh, paid the price for me. So I'll go to church on Sunday and ask for forgiveness and the price will be taken care of when we just keep doing, repeating, living the same habit we used to do. No, you've been given control. You've been given authority and power by what Jesus took place on that cross. It says, do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as instrument, as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master. For you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, You live under the freedom of God's grace. Grace is not there to put a band-aid on what you messed up doing last night. Grace is there to empower you to not ever do it again. That's the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This message that no matter what you do, it's already been taken care of. It is hurting and it is hindering the church. That is a weak church. That's not a powerful church. That's a limited church, not a limitless church. If the church is going to rise up and do what they're supposed to do in the last days, it's going to be people that will rise up in the power and the authority that is living inside of you to, to stand up and say, no, my lifestyle will be different. My habits will be different. I will change. I'm not saying you'll always get it right. I'm not saying you're going to be perfect. I'm not saying you'll never make a wrong decision in your life, but I am saying you have the power to do so every time. Every time. And so we've got to rise up because look, here's what we're doing, man. When we, when we only become one dimensional and we only see the cross and we don't see the power of the resurrection, then we're not taking in fully what Christ did in those three days. In essence, we're saying, thank you for getting me out of hell, but I still have to live like hell on the earth. And that's just not a true statement. He saved you from hell. And he saved you from hell that's burning the lake of fire but he also saved you from hell here. And you can say no. You have control. You have the power and the authority. That's what redemption is. So he redeemed us, not only from the penalty of sin, but also from the power of sin. You've got to see God as a loving God that has high standards. This day and age, sin is more rampant, it seems as if it's more rampant than it ever was, but I know there was a time where God looked at the world and said, there's so much sin going on, I'm going to flood the whole earth and I'm only going to save eight of them. That's pretty bad. That's a pretty bad state. When Jesus showed up, the world was in shambles. 
People were doing whatever they wanted to do. People forgot about God. They forgot that this was the God that brought them into the promised land. They forgot this was the God that parted the Red Sea. They forgot this was the God that killed the giant that was coming to attack them. They forgot this was the God that saved them time and time and time again when their enemies would come upon them because they would leave God and serve other. They forgot that God. When Jesus showed up, God hadn't spoken one word in the earth for over 400 years. A God that was always speaking through his kings, through his prophets, and through his priests. He has shut his mouth, and from Malachi to Matthew, 400 years goes by, and he's not saying a word to anybody. I don't want it to get that bad. God is speaking today. He has still got a voice in the earth today. And he sent his son Jesus, not in the good time, he sent, it, he sent his son Jesus at the worst time, the lowest time. When we, had hit, when we had hit rock bottom, he said, now I'll go and save him. But we throw all that away when we only say, thank you for getting me out of hell and thank you for getting me into heaven. We miss it. No, he's a God that is loving. He's a God that is caring. He is a God that treasures you more than anything else on the face of this planet. But he's also a God that's got standards. He's got beasts that surround his throne from the beginning of time. And we don't even know when that was. And they have been singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And that's all they do. As soon as they get done saying that, they start over again. Every time they finish saying, holy, 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 is the Lord God Almighty, they see something different about him and say, wow, holy, holy, holy. That's the God you and I serve. That's the God you and I serve. The second thing, the first thing we saw was that we have been redeemed. The second work of Christ through his cross and his resurrection is we have been restored. To restore someone means to bring them back to an original or former state or position. To an original or former state. Or position. It means to bring something back so it can be used for what it was originally intended for. If you restore a vehicle, it's so that you can drive it again like it was able to be driven in the beginning. If you restore a person back to a position, it means you have put them back into the place they were once before here's the problem is we have forgotten and we don't even know what we look like before now let me ask you when god created man where did he create him at heaven or earth on the earth out of the dust of the ground so if that was where man was in the beginning then why are we looking for heaven? I mean, if my Bible is sitting on this podium and it falls 
on the floor and I pick it up and place it on the chair, have I restored the Bible? No. To restore it would be to place it back where it was before. We've been wandering around earth as Christians, as believers, looking for heaven. But in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says that God said to himself, but between him, his son Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28, then he goes on and he performs the very act he said he was going to do. And God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, birds of the air, and every living thing that moves on the earth. To be restored means to be placed back into an original position and to be used for the original intent. God's original intent was not to place man on the earth and then suck them back up into heaven one day. You didn't come from heaven, you came from the earth. To be put back, to be restored to your original position is to be placed back in authority and dominion on the earth. In Matthew chapter 16, the very first time Jesus mentions his church, the very first time he brings it up, the very first time he starts talking about his people, his body. He says, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And then he goes right in to restoring man back to his original authority. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What's he saying? My intention for you in, in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 is still my intention for you today. The price that Jesus paid was not so that we could live on this earth and be under the control and the dominion of everything around us. He gave us authority and dominion back in the earth. Jesus was the perfect example. Everywhere Jesus went, he operated in authority. He spoke with authority. He had power. There was no storm that could stop him. There was no sickness that could stop him. There was no death that could stop him. There was no devil that could stop him. Because he came back as the second Adam to reveal, to restore, and to show us this is what authority in the earth looks like. We're in control. We're in charge. The price that Jesus paid was so that you and I could be restored to the position of power and authority in his kingdom. Romans chapter 5, verse 17 
says, for if by one man's offense, through Adam's offense, death reigned through the one. That means death was in control. Death was in charge. We were subject to the kingdom of darkness. But it says much more. Those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. What's he saying? If through Adam's disobedience, we were all subject to darkness and death, then through what Jesus took care of on the cross and through his resurrection, we will now reign in life through what he did. It's not on our own. It's not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus did, he has restored us back to that position of authority. The Amplified reads it this way. For if because of one man's trespass, lapse, or offense, death reigned through that one, much more surely will those who receive God's overflowing grace, unmerited favor, and the free gift of righteousness, putting them into right standing with himself, reign as kings in life through the one man, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. Your restoration is because of his redemption. He redeemed you and he brought you out of the control of the devil and out of the control of sin so you could be in control as you submit yourself to God. See, Adam wasn't in control in the sense that he could do whatever he wanted to do. He was in control in the sense that he was on the earth as an ambassador for God in heaven. Anything God wanted to get done in the earth, he had to do through man. Anything God wants to get done in the earth today, guess who he's still using? Man. When God wanted to part the Red Sea, he needed a man named Moses. When God wanted to take out a Goliath giant that was coming against his people, he needed a man, David. When he wanted to set man free from sin and bring him back into restoration to himself, he needed a man, Jesus. He is still using you and I. But we couldn't do that before. We couldn't do that unless he chose us. But now, because of what Jesus Christ took place and did on the cross, you and I have been restored because of that redemption. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20 says, The work which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his, Jesus' feet, gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of, of him who fills all in all. Well, that's great, Pastor Mark. Thank you for telling me that Jesus is ruling and reigning in heaven, seated at the right hand of his Father. Thank you so much. But it goes on. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, 
Where God exalted his son Jesus, he has exalted you. The way he sees Jesus is how he sees you. The power and authority that's been given to Jesus is the power and authority that's been given to you. Sitting at the right hand of the Father, we don't understand what that means. But that is a big deal. To sit at the right hand of the king means you are his go-to guy. means you are the guy he goes to to enact and operate in authority. To sit at the right hand of the Father with Christ Jesus means that God, to accomplish anything, uses you. You know, we talked about this when we did a series, a study on prayer. And we made the statement, if God is sovereign, like we like to say, God is in control. If God is in control, then why are we praying? If God is in control, he's going to do whatever he wants to do. He's going to do however he feels. Then why do you and I need to pray? Well, sometimes he answers our prayers and sometimes he doesn't. Then why do we need to pray and waste our time if prayers that we're praying aren't going to be answered? If you pray in line with the will of God, you can rest assured your prayers will be answered. God answers prayer because he needs you and I to do something here so he can back us up up there. What did that verse say in Matthew 16? Whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. That's the authority of the church. The church is so powerful that even God in heaven and all the angels are backing us up. Did you know that angels work for you? Did you know that? You don't work for the angels. Psalms said that he created us and he placed us higher and above the angels. The angels are there to serve you. They're there to protect you. They're there to minister to you. They're there to bring protection to you. That's the authority and the power of the church, of the believer. So we've seen that we have been redeemed. Through the cross, redeemed not only from hell and the penalty and the price of sin, but the power of sin so that we are now in control and don't have to live according to sin any longer. We've seen that we've been restored to a position of authority where we can now dictate and rule on the earth and have dominion just as Adam was given dominion in Genesis chapter 1. And now the third thing that Jesus did, the work that he did through his cross and his resurrection, is he has returned the kingdom back to man. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it speaks of Jesus, not as a spiritual leader, as a religious icon. It speaks of Jesus as a political figure, the head of a government. For unto us the child is born unto us a son is given and the government will be upon his shoulder his name will be called wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father prince of peace the increase of his government and peace there will be no end 
upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it, establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward. Even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Jesus came back not to start Christianity. Jesus never mentioned anything about Christians. Jesus never mentioned anything about Christianity and being a good Christian. He wanted to establish a kingdom in the earth and make you and I citizens of that kingdom. From the very first time Jesus showed up in the planet in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, it says, From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Is at hand, that means within reach. It's near you. He said, It is so close because I'm here bringing the kingdom of God back to you. I am reestablishing my kingdom back in the earth. The kingdom that Adam lost. When Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they didn't lose heaven. They didn't lose access to heaven. They weren't wandering around thinking, oh, great, how are we going to get to heaven? They weren't wandering around before that thinking, can't wait till Jesus comes back and takes us home. That was never their thought process. They lost and forfeited authority, power, control, and dominion over this earth. And they handed over God's kingdom to God's biggest enemy. But now Jesus came back and the first words he says, I'm preaching that the kingdom of God is here. Now the kingdom of God is invisible. The kingdom isn't God. The kingdom of God isn't all around us like it was in the garden. No, he placed it somewhere else. In Luke chapter uh, 17, it says, Now when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, why are the Pharisees asking about the kingdom of God? Because it's all he talked about. They didn't ask him about the cross. They didn't ask him about how to be a Christian. No, they said, Now when is this kingdom that you're talking about? When's it coming? What is this whole kingdom thing you're talking about? When he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation. It's not visible with your eyes. But he puts it this way. You will not say, see here or see there, for the kingdom of God is within you. What's he saying? He's saying, my kingdom is going to be placed within Men's hearts. So now every time you operate according to the kingdom of God and not the kingdom of darkness, since you have power and dominion over that, you take the kingdom everywhere you go. When you hold your tongue and you don't talk to that person like you used to, the kingdom of God just showed up. When you treat people better than they treat you, the kingdom of God just showed up. When you give to the poor, the kingdom of God just showed up. When you serve people like you would serve Jesus, the kingdom of God just showed up. The kingdom of God is within you. Jesus went to the cross, paid the price he paid, and rose again to restore the kingdom back into the earth. 
to return the kingdom that had been lost. The moment they ate that fruit, the kingdom was handed over. And Jesus wasn't trying to establish Christians. He wasn't building Christianity in a movement that followed him. He was creating a government and a kingdom that you and I could live in and partake of for the rest of our lives. The kingdom of heaven, he said, is within you. John chapter 18, verse 33, the pilot entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this? Or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. He's saying, My kingdom doesn't look like your government. It's not set up like y'all. It's not a worldly institution. And Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born. For this cause I have come into the world. I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Jesus came as a king. Jesus claimed to be a king. And Jesus spoke not as a religious icon, but he spoke as a political figure. And you and I that are brought into the kingdom, live in the kingdom of God, make the choice to live according to the kingdom of God, we are now citizens in that kingdom, ruling and living not like the world tells us to, not like the world uh, has a standard for us, but he said of his disciples, they will be in the world but they're not of the world. You'll be right in the midst of the mess, and you'll look different. You'll be right in the midst of everything that's fallen apart, and you'll stand out. Why? Because you'll be there to change it. You'll be there to make a difference by building his church. Jesus wanted to change the world. John chapter 19, verse 30. I'll close with this. Jesus was hanging on the cross, and it says, So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Jesus said, It is finished. What was finished? He said, It's finished. I've redeemed mankind from sin. No longer will Satan, no longer will the devil, no longer will the enemy, no longer will the law be able to control man. He says, I've restored man back to their position. The things that I've been doing for the last three and a half years, the control and the authority and the power that I've been operating in, now every single one of them can live that and then he said it's finished I have returned the kingdom of God the kingdom of heaven back to the earth 
by placing the kingdom within man. When you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you come into the kingdom, but the kingdom also comes into you. Now here's the thing. For Jesus, the cross was the end. The cross, he said, it is finished. But for you and I, the cross is simply where we start. See, the cross is not a finish line. The cross is a starting point. The cross is not where we say, oh, I finally made it, and break across that tape, and everyone's cheering us. No. Paul said, I've run my race. I've finished my course. But he made that statement at the end of his life. Not when he got knocked off that horse. Not when his eyes were blinded because he saw Jesus. The cross is not a finish line, people. The cross is where redemption begins. The cross is where restoration takes place. And the cross is where the kingdom is returned. But Jesus himself said, I'm the door. I'm the doorway in. See, we've been looking at the cross as a doorway out of hell. But Jesus said, no, I'm the doorway into heaven, into the kingdom of God. What Jesus did on the cross, the price that he paid, there's no movie that can portray it the way it was. You can't picture it. You can't think of it. The price that he paid was not so that we could wait around and just be thankful that one day we go to heaven. All three works of Christ that we looked at today are to take place and to be done in the earth today. The church that operates in power is the church that looks at those three works and says, I accept them into my life today. I accept that taking place in my life right now. Right now, I'm redeemed. I'm not waiting to get to heaven to be redeemed. Right now, I'm restored to authority. I'm not waiting to get to heaven to get authority. Right now, the kingdom has returned. I'm not waiting for Jesus to bring back the kingdom. He will bring back the kingdom in its full consummation. Where even death won't have control. But that's the last enemy. That's the last battle that will be fought. But today we have redemption. Today we have restoration. Today the kingdom's been returned. With every, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to give you an opportunity. If you have not had this opportunity, if you have not taken the opportunity to accept what Jesus has done through his death, burial, and resurrection, The power that's been made available to you and I. The price that was paid. Was for your life. The, the amazing thing about it is what God did for the world. He did for you and for me. 
What he did for everybody at one time, he did with your face on it. Because that's the greatness of God, is he can hold the entire world in his hands, but he can give you every bit of attention that you need yourself. So this, this morning, if there is anyone here on two accounts, if you have never made Jesus the Lord or the Savior of your life, or if you know what, I've fallen away, I haven't followed him the way I should be, he gave everything for me, but I haven't given everything for him. Look, he gave his life so that he could have your life. So this morning, if either one of those is you, with every head bowed, every eye closed, I want you to raise your hand. I want you to raise your hand. If you have either not accepted Jesus as your Lord, you've known, you, you, you said, you know what? I, I have not given him control of my life. He's not calling the shots in my life. There's another ruler in my life, but I don't want to be under his control anymore. I don't want to be under that power and that dominion anymore. I want to be under the rule of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. If that's you, raise your hand. Father, I thank you this morning. We thank you this morning for the gift that you sent in your son Jesus. We do not take the work of Christ for granted. We do not take the work of the cross for granted. And even more, we do not take the power of his resurrection for granted. The work that Jesus did for us, you want to have, you want to be continued in us. It's not a one time deal. It's not something that you did 2,000 years ago. It's something that you are still working inside of us. You've called us into your kingdom. You have given us power and authority to rule on this earth as you would want us to rule. You have given us your kingdom to operate and to live by. No longer are we bound by the systems and the limitations of this world. But no, we live according to another kingdom. The kingdom of God. So Father, this morning as we go and as we celebrate the rest of this weekend, Father, may this always be on our hearts. May this always be on our minds that we serve the King of Kings and we serve the Lord of Lords. Father, I thank you for this body and for this church. I thank you that you're blessing us that you're moving in this church, moving in our lives as we grow in your kingdom, as we grow in your knowledge and in your word, Father. I thank you that we are changing our world in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.